training and discipling. It seems to me that if we want to see 3,500 ministers to pastor 1,750 churches, which would then only see 5% of our population in Bible teaching churches, then we need to be serious about seeing people raised up for ministry. Let me just tell you that in our region, we have historically relied upon people being missionaries from outside. The northwest, for reasons I won't go into now, but the northwest of England has historically, primarily because it's a more working class area, but has historically not produced its own ministers. That means that we've relied on people coming from outside to be our ministers uh, in our region. And there is no guarantee, A, that that will continue, or that we can get more of them. Further, again, I don't know whether this is an Australian phenomenon or not, but in England we have very strong regional accents that mean that the moment I open my mouth in the region I am working, everybody knows I am not native of that region. And yet, generally, generally speaking, some people are good cross-culturally, but generally speaking, if we're going to see the northwest of England one for Christ, we need to see northwestern people raised up for uh, ministry in the northwest. So, how have we sought to do that? Well, a number of ways in which we have, and uh, the first is this: we have wanted to plant full-time ministry into people's minds young. We have wanted to plant full-time ministry into people's minds young. It is generally the case that it is harder, though not impossible, harder to make big life changes of direction the older you are. Not exclusively is that the case, but generally speaking that is the case. Further, the training investment that is uh, required, if made in people who are much older, economically doesn't appear to make as good sense as training people younger in ministry. And I know I'm speaking in very broad generalisations. Nonetheless, it is true that for us in England to put someone through full-time residential theological education for four years will cost us £120,000 that is 180,000 Australian dollars. That is a very large amount of money. And so you need to think in terms of where possible, again, not exclusively, but where possible, the younger that you can train people for ministry, as long as they fulfill all other requirements and criteria, the better things are. So we want to put into uh, people's minds, full-time paid ministry. And we as a partnership do that at every opportunity. We run a youth leaders training program. And the idea of full-time ministry is dropped into their minds when they may be, even some of them Sunday school leaders, even in their late teens. Now I'm a little bit passionate about that because I uh, was converted at the age of 17 and I heard an Australian evangelist called John Chapman at the age of 17 say that being in full-time paid Christian ministry was the best job in the world because you got paid to do what everyone else had to do in their spare time. 
And what is there a better job than being paid to study the Bible and teach people about the Lord Jesus? And when you're 17, that is compelling logic. But it did mean I went into the ministry young, and I have not regretted it for a moment. It means here am I in my early 50s, and I've still got stacks of energy. And sadly, I've met many people who run out of energy in their, after kind of 30 years of ministry, because they're 65, 70. Well, I've got stacks of energy left. Here's the second thing we need, needed to do. We needed to provide ministry training opportunities. Providing ministry training opportunities. What we decided to do as a network of churches is we would try and encourage people in their early to mid-twenties, some straight after university, but many after having worked for a couple of years, but before they've made the life-critical kind of static decisions, to take a year or two out to be a ministry trainee. Now, most you know, you, you, Sydney, Sydney's pioneered this, so I'm teaching grandmothers and eggs and sucking, I realise. What we decide, what we do is a a day ministry, a daytime ministry training course for those who are ministry trainees. Uh, so this year we've got 62 ministry trainees, and they are placed in uh, about 45 different churches. So some churches have got more than one, some have only got uh, one. And they come a day a week to me. And I try to equip them in pretty basic, but basic Bible teaching and communication skills. We have three aims that we're trying to, uh, uh, three things we're trying to equip these uh, young people in. We first, them want, what, first want them to be able to exegetically handle the scriptures well. So faithful in exposition. Secondly, we want them to be interesting in communication. And thirdly, we want them to be challenging in application. And those are the three kind of areas in which we want to encourage these young people. Uh, most do, most do uh, two years. They're with us for a day a week, but they also get another day a week of guided study that they have to do at some other point, uh, which could be a full day that they take, or it could be you know, two mornings, two afternoons, three evenings, however they arrange it. And they have a ministry supervisor in their local church who is meant to make sure that they undertake that aspect of the study program. Uh, I, on Thursdays, can always detect whether they've done it or not because I just and blunt and ask them, how's it going? And you only need three or four questions on a Thursday over coffee to work out whether they're doing it or not, which requires a Friday morning conversation to their supervisor to uh, call on the supervisor to make sure they're doing it. And it's nearly always their supervisor who's responsible for the fact they haven't been doing it because they haven't been taking their job. Uh, that requires me to do some work uh, during the year with the supervisors. Um, uh, so they've got a day a week of ministry training. They get a day a week where they're doing supervi supervised reading and preparation of material. And in the church where they're placed, they're expected to have two ministry outputs a week which could be ranged from Sunday school to youth group, could be a men's ministry group, it could be a women's Bible study, it could be a student one-to-one. -one. There's a variety of kind of contexts in which that might uh, take place, and they are meant to reflect on that with their, um, with their supervisor. 
as part of the programme that they come to me on a Thursday, over the course of two years, they will all give 12 sermons that I will listen to. Uh, some, some I'm able to listen, listen to, about 30% I'm able to listen to live, and I give feedback immediately, publicly, in the group they're in, because the group learn how to, do, learn how to listen to a sermon well, by hearing me explain how I've listened and how they could do it better. The rest are, are recorded, and I listen to them one-to-one, -one, which takes up some other time uh, in the week where I have to uh, meet up with them. And we have a couple of, we do that as separate gender groups uh, for varying reasons. Uh, so I listen to the boys and my wife and another woman listen to the, listen to the girls. We do those as separate gender um, uh, groups. Those ministry trainees uh, uh, are funded for the uh, year or two that they're with us. And our hope is that through that experience... They will catch the bug or be called, depends on what kind of theology you've got of, of calling and so on, but you, you can insert at that point whichever theology you've got, but they catch the bug or get called to want to do further theological training. Um, th we discover over the course of a year between their supervisors, I'm in regular contact with their supervisors, and we, 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 we discover fairly early on actually that there are some of them who just are not going to be suitable for ministry, further ministry training. That we try hard, I don't know whether we succeed, we try hard to make, make, make no value judgment out of that. It's hard not to get f to, for them to feel a value judgment. We try and hard just to say, this has been a great time of discovering what your gifts aren't. We make no judgment over that. God has given you gifts and there are other places for you to serve. And we hope that they'll believe that. Some... Even those, though, who aren't going to be encouraged and pushed towards further theological training, even those, in our experience, end up better servants in their local churches. So we're not losing anything, actually, by, by having them around for a year. We generally don't encourage them to do the second year if we've detected that early in the, or through, through the first year uh, that they're with us. And uh, we want to encourage those that uh, appear to have the gifts. Some, so, some need, just for varying reasons, need to go off and do some secular employment for a, some period. For some, for some we, you can see all the potential. I think we've just got to grow up. And, and we'll have two or three years' time of growing up will happen. Some, some, some are just remarkably mature. And you think, yeah, I, don't think you, I think you, you can go straight away. You can go straight away. There's no uh, rules in that. At the moment, we've had to send off people away for full-time uh, for, for further theological uh, training, but we've decided as a partnership to open our own theological college, and we're doing that uh, in September. So, so that's a very new venture uh, for us. Uh, because we've discovered if people go off to Oak Hill, we've even had people go to Moore College, but if they go to Oak Hill or Moore College or George Whitfield College in Cape Town, sometimes they don't come back. They marry people in other places, and they, and oh dear, and they stay in other. So we, we so we want to, try, yes, Dale. So we want to encourage them where possible to stay in the northwest of England. Uh, and we're also aware that for various reasons, there are some people who never get to full to further uh, theological training, and they survive becoming pastors on just the ministry training scheme, which is painfully inadequate 
uh, for them. I can tell you more about the ministry training scheme and what we do if you're of, of any uh, um, uh, interest, if you've got uh, interest. Third thing that we need to do is we need to provide training for, our, for uh, leaders in our local churches. It's not just the pastor, it's not just the trainees who need training, the leaders of our local churches need training. Now again, all of this ideally could be done and should perhaps be done by the local church itself. They pragmatically, we've discovered that by working together as a partnership of churches, we've been able to provide better training. And so this year we have an evening training course, again that runs over two years, that copies much of what we do with our daytime, where people can come, every, there's a group who've come every Monday night for two years, and I'm seeking to equip that group of people to be better lay leaders in their local churches. Um, and, and generally speaking, those people have been, been some of our best supporters of the new church plants, by, uh, by the way. Uh, so uh, we run that on Monday nights and Thursday nights. So we've got two evening uh, ministry training courses that are running. So one that's running a, a first year and one that in this, this year's in its second year. And then next year, we'll start the second, first year will become the second year and we'll start another first year. And, and, and we've been running those for the last few years. Um, is that because there's just no training going on? Like, have you have you done it because that's the best way to deliver it, or is, is it just that there's there's just no training taking place in the local church? Oh, some local churches take their training very very seriously, but um, other local churches would just never get round to doing it. Yeah. And uh, and and for some, for, for even our ministry training scheme on Thursdays and our evenings. Ministers have breathed a sigh of relief. They knew they ought to do it, but they've not had, for whatever reason, the time to invest into a small group of people that they may have. So say a local church has got two or three people they could identify as being decent lay preachers in their church. It is a, it is a very big time investment to train two or three people well to become preachers. But... Uh, Seven or eight churches meet partnering together to pool five from each church. You can do it. You can, you can do so. So our Monday night training course, we've got twenty-five people. Uh, they come from probably seven or eight different churches, and. Um, oh, I do. I I I do that all all Monday night. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it works pretty well. And no struggle to persuade the local pastors that they should buy into this? Oh, it's entirely that we, we, as a, we, are a, we are a partnership of churches, not a denomination. So we are not, there is no one at the centre saying to any pastor, you must do this. Rather, we're saying as a partnership of churches, we will put on this, and, and you as pastors, you decide who comes along. You, you select. No, I... No, I um, and we don't take anyone either as a ministry trainee or as an evening training course person without their pastor's permission, support, endorsement. So, so you couldn't come along. You couldn't come along to our first year training evening training course on Thursday nights. You couldn't sign up for it without your pastor saying, "I want this person to do it," and I'm happy for them to be released from something else if necessary for them to be able to do it.
so you can't you can't freewheel onto it yourself. Um, hello. And then the, the last thing that, before we go to questions, we've already started. The last thing that we, the last thing that we've uh, sought to do in terms of training is maintaining relationships. Maintaining relationship. I, can't, I don't think I can stress this more strongly. Uh, here we are. Set, we started seven years ago. Our first batch of ministry trainees, and uh, let me tell you about Jerry. I'll call him Jerry, Jerry largely because that's his name. So if you're listening on, on the internet, Jerry, I'm now talking about you. Uh, Jerry was one of our first cohorts of ministry trainees. And he worked in a church in, uh, in our region. And he came for training. And um, as has happened a number of times, he met a female ministry trainee uh, who was there as well. And, uh, and uh, love took its course. And they got married. At the end of two years of ministry training, Jerry went off to Oak Hill, uh, where he uh, spent uh, th three years doing uh, a theological training. And uh, then we encouraged Jerry to come back to our region, where he spent the last two years working in one of our partner churches in Lancaster. And it's he who is going to lead the church plant to Morecambe starting in September. Now that is exactly what we have hoped would happen. That someone would move from being a ministry trainee to being a church planter. It's taken seven years for that to happen. Or I could tell you about another guy called Hugh who uh, was in our region a few years ago. He went off to George Whitfield College and he has now come back as an assistant minister in our region with a view to planting a church in three years, three years time. Now one of the things that's required is a good relationship to be kept. So I've kept in touch with these guys all the way through, from them being ministry trainees, to them going off to theological college, to them coming back as a, a, um, assistants, and hopefully well, with one of them already happening, and with another one as a, as a church planter. But you've got to keep the relationships, because other people are out there. There are predators out there for, for people who are valuable people. We don't want them to be snapped up by someone else. We want them to come back to our region. We want them to, to, um, to uh, be our pastors and our church uh, planters. Uh, there's uh, plenty more, but that's, that's enough to start with. Let's, let's open up to yeah, questions. yeah. Um, with the partnership, how many... Churches are in that. How did that come about? Okay. In fact, that, 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 that's the good next segue. session. That's a good segue. Yeah. I'll, I'll just explain. I'll, I'll explain the history for you. So we, Peter Jensen, came to the UK in January 2003, and uh, told us about the cavalry not coming. Uh, nine of us as ministers had got our churches to go and listen to him. Uh, I'd encouraged eight others to come along. Um, I, those were the Anglican Evangelical Church I knew in the northwest at that time. I'd been a pastor up there for, I suppose, for about see, Paul, uh, for about eight years, and um, we had a good crowd. Peter Jensen said, "Don't do nothing, do something." Uh, we, as a group of nine of us, met immediately afterwards and thought to ourselves, "What could we do together that we can't do on our own and isn't being done by anyone else?" We didn't want to replicate anything else that someone else is already doing. There, actually, in our region, there isn't any, many other people doing much that's genuinely uh, evangelical. 
So we wanted to think, what could we do? And the two things that we thought we could do was develop a ministry training scheme that might raise up the next generation of ministers and be serious about church, church planting. Now, immediately we decided that we would do that. We then needed to, dis, to work on networking with other evangelical churches. By, by evangelical, I mean not just... Evangelical is such a misused phrase in England. But by, I mean classical uh, Bible-teaching uh, churches, of which we knew there were others in our region, and we wanted them to join us in partnership. So we wanted to establish a partnership, not an organisation, not a denomination, a network, a partnership of churches that were like-minded and were willing to work together. And, and we have churches at Church of England that are Baptist, that are uh, independent, that are um, uh, uh, United Reform, um, a whole variety, a whole, a whole variety of denominations. Uh, the three things that we decided uh, were important was it had to be a church where on a typical Sunday, if you went, you would hear the Bible explained. Well, second criteria that um, if you had a non-Christian friend, you could take them along to that church and they would come up. They would hear the gospel. You might think one and two are meant to be the same. And thirdly, where if you if you'd got someone moving into that area from your church, you would recommend that church as a church they could go to, get stuck in, and and they would be able to serve. And that's that. That was kind of the definition. We used it's caused all kinds of upsets for some, because um, you're making value judgments about people's ministry, and people don't people don't like that. But those were the kind of criteria we had, and uh, and it required me and one or two others to go just go out and 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 have lots of lunches with people and talk to people about uh, what we were doing, why we were doing it, why we wanted them on board, and why and what it meant to be a partner, and what a partnership is about giving, not receiving, and. Um, now, theologically, it's worth saying that we, we started with the precept that um, partnership isn't something we create. In the New Testament, partnership is something that exists as a result of the gospel. So in 1 John 1-4, to John says that we have fellowship with the Father. How? Through having fellowship with the apostles, which brings us into fellowship with one another. Fellowship and partnership, same word. So you have fellowship with the Father through having fellowship with the apostles, which brings you into fellowship with one another. Now, I think that's just a theological reality. In other words, you can only come into partnership genuinely with the Father through the apostolic truth. You can't get into fellowship with the Father apart from the apostles. But once you are in fellowship with the Father through the apostolic word, you are in partnership with one another. It's a bit like... This is going to cause some stir... It is a bit theologically like church membership. Everybody who is a Christian is a member of the church. The issue is not whether you're a member of the church, it's whether you're a good member or a bad member. You are a member. Theologically, Romans 12, you are a member. Now, partnership's the same. If you are in partnership with the Father, through the apostolic gospel, the apostolic word, we are in partnership with one another. The question is whether we're going to be good partners or bad partners. Now, what we were just trying to encourage was good partnership. Uh, and good partnership that would uh, work together 
for the two aims of seeing people raised up for ministry and churches planted, which is just another way of speaking about gospel gospel growth. I don't think it's that, yeah, it's not it's not kind of much more than that. And um, and so we, we we try to grow, and we've grown. I don't know from nine in two thousand three. We're probably. 60, 70 fellowships now, some, maybe a bit more than that actually, because some of our some of our multi, multiple congregations that are under one are in fact many churches, but they partner as one name. But uh, but yeah, we, we we've um, and, and we are absolutely focused about what we're doing. We're only doing what no one else does, and we're principally about ministry train tra- raising people for ministry and church and and church planting. Now, let me say that um, I'm wandering into the third talk. Feel free to interrupt, okay? We're now at the loose kind of, you can, you can say what you like. But it, it would be fair to say there are two groups of people that we have not been able to partner with. And that is the people who describe themselves as evangelical Anglicans rather than Anglican evangelicals. Now, if you'll excuse there, there is a slight difference. It depends where you put the noun and where you put the adjective. If you are an evangelical Anglican, you are Anglican first and an evangelical second. Whereas if, like me, you are an Anglican evangelical, you are evangelical first and Anglican second. If you are of the former category of those, that if, when push comes to shove, you are Anglican before you are evangelical, then partnering with a group like us will, is, will be very difficult. Let me illustrate, and this is, this is um, I heard this from the horse's mouth. I met a, a man in our uh, region who wouldn't join our partnership, but didn't want to be part of us at all, and, um, and he said, it is because you're un-Anglican. I said, that's very strange. I've always thought of myself as a good Anglican, actually. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, I said, what do you mean? And he explained what he thought he meant an Anglican was. He said, the Anglican church is the Church of England. It's the church in England. And any denomination that's apart from that is deviant. So I said, extraordinary. So I said, let me give you a case scenario, Jim. I said, Jim, if... If your daughter, he's Christian, went to a town and there was an Anglican church that was liberal, had a woman vicar where the gospel was never heard, but also had a Baptist church that had an evangelical pastor where the gospel was always taught and the Bible was well taught, where would you encourage your daughter to go? And he said, the Anglican church every time. I said, well, that that is where we we, we differ. You can work out who's right. I, you know, I, I, of course, I think I'm right. But, uh, but now, that kind of person is instinctively loyal to the denomination before they're loyal to the gospel, I think. And that kind of person finds what we're doing very, very difficult. Because in the kind of church planting initiatives that we've done, we've seen an Anglican church give to a non-Anglican church plant £30,000. That's $45,000. That's an enormous amount of money in our terms to give away. And the man who is an evangelical Anglican thought we were being utterly disloyal to the denomination when that happened. 
Now, I've got no problem. I've got no problem with that. I'm happy, I'm happy for church plants to start that are of any denomination as long as they're, as long as they're just genuinely evangelical. Uh, so we've not been able to draw that group of people in at all. And they are very suspicious of us. Um, and they say nasty things about us. That's the way it goes. I hope I want to be polite about them. Some of them are genuine Christian brothers to whom I want to say, good luck. No, that's not what you say, is it? Oh, who want to say, I wish you well in the ministry, brother. And I hope all goes well for you. And I hope you grow and see people come to Christ. But they can't partner with us. The other group who we've not been able to, who can't partner with us, are the people who have made what the rest of us think are secondary issues, primary issues. So if, for example, the issue of the mode of baptism is a primary issue for you, you won't be able to partner easily with Peter Baptists. It's just the way it is. So one network of group of churches in the northwest, the uh, Grace Baptist churches, most of them have not been able to pass partner partner with us because they think that to be in partnership with Anglicans is to be in partnership with almost the devil. So we haven't been able to work, and it's a great sadness, huge sadness that we haven't been able to work with those. Which does mean, of course, we've been we've had to work out what our secondaries are. Uh, and we've had to work hard to be clear that we are not as a partnership going to be defined or divide over the, um, the mode or the, uh, what's the word for it, or, or the, whether you're pedo or credo Baptist. We're, we're not going to divide over that. We're not going to divide over, over the nature of church government, for example, because those seem to be us to be secondary issues. Though I fully agree that some, for some people those are primary issues and, and they by their full definition won't, won't partner with us. Um, that's, how, that's, how, that's how we've uh, come into being. Um, do you want to follow it up? Um, sure. That's a slightly different question. Yeah, go on. You can ask anything. I'm off script now. I've closed my, I've closed my notes. So. Um, discipling? Is that local church or? Uh, we've, we've left that entirely in the, um, in the uh, hands of the local church, except that uh, I have something of a responsibility in terms of our church plants, especially in terms of our virgin territory church plants that aren't a church plant from a mother church to a kind of a, in old traditional Anglican churches, a mother church to a daughter church. Where there is an existing relationship from partner mother to daughter, it makes mo most sense for the mother church to have a pastoral oversight and responsibility for the daughter. But where we've done virgin territory church plants, uh, it's required me to do quite a bit of um, keep. I, I like I, mentoring sounds very grand. I, I'd like prefer to call it relational friendship uh, and, and encouragement, and and uh, especially encouragement where things have been harder. But, but discipling within the local church, as in the higher, the discipling of particular members, we've kept, we've, we've kept that as, as a local church thing. So any tips how you've gone about that in the local context? Um, it depends what you're discipling people for. Um, uh, there, is, there is, at one level, there is a, a responsibility in the New Testament that we see all people discipled. 
And how does that happen? Well, in Ephesians 4, Paul describes in Ephesians 4, 7 as each one having victory gifts. Uh, each one has been given grace as Christ apportioned it. I don't think that's saving grace, actually, in Ephesians 4, 7. I think that in its context is about gifts that, or, or services that people have to use. And everyone, everyone has those. Then at Ephesians 4.11 he says that some are given, and then apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Uh, I want to argue from Ephesians that the apostles and prophets are uniquely first century foundational gifts. You can get that from Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3.6. Uh, so that they are not repeated, though their ministry is the scriptures. It seems to me if evangelists and pastor teachers we there's no reason to think we don't have those now. Uh, we know, um, for example, Timothy was to do the work of an evangelist, and pastors and teachers clearly are, are used interchangeably in Acts 20 with the elders and so on. And, um, and their role is to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, you can only have discipleship, that is, people ultimately growing in maturity. That is the goal of people's works of service in Ephesians 4. People are prepared for their works of service so that the body may grow and, and um, achieve maturity, even the fullness of the attainment of the measure of Christ. Now that can only happen as word ministry uh, is, in is in position. So the first thing I would do for the discipling of God's people, of all God's people, is to make sure the word ministry is good at every level where people are hearing word ministry. So because I think people are discipled through the through God's word, through word ministry, I think they will be discipled from Sunday school beyond. So the first group of people I've got to work out, I've got to make sure, not, not in any order, but in, in age kind of where people experience it, I've got to make sure the Sunday school leaders know how to teach the Bible, and then the youth leaders, and then the small group leaders, and then the, then the other people who preach on, on Sundays. In other words, I've got to make sure that word ministry, every level that it happens in the local church, happens as well as it can, because there is no shortcut to discipleship apart from that. Now, whether the experience of hearing word ministry is one-to-one, one-to-small group, or one-to-many, and I think you can argue from Paul's model to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that he did all of those is entirely up for you as the pastor of the local church to work out. I don't think we're given a program of how that works. Um, but if I was, when I've been the elder of a local church, I think my responsibility is to make sure that uh, people are discipled by hearing the word of God and people therefore who are responsible for them being competent to do that and I would encourage them to work out the, whether they do that one-on-one -on -one, whether they do that one on small group or whether they do that one on many and it can happen by all of those the second group of people the second responsibility in terms of discipling that I think I as the elder of the local church have got is to train the next generation so in 2 Timothy 2, 2 obviously Paul is saying to uh, Timothy, the things that you have heard me say in the presence, yeah, in my, you are to entrust to reliable men who will then be qualified uh, to 
teach others, to teach the next generation. Now that word qualified is the word that's been described of Timothy already in the pastoral epistles. He is qualified and he is to qualify others to do the task. In other words, if discipleship is going to happen beyond one generation, we've got to be serious about raising up the next generation. So in a local church, what I did, when I was a, a, a vicar of a, the last church I was at, I said to our church council, I said, I said, you as a council will drop off the perch one day. Uh, some of you are getting old. We've got to have the next generation of men. I said, I need to invest serious amounts of time in the next generation of, of, of men for, for ministry. So what I said, I said, I'll give you two weeks, and then what I want you to do is come back, and I want you to have written down the names of the seven men, present company excluded, who you think might be the next generation of word ministers in this congregation. Well, it, was, it was remarkable. There weren't more than nine names written down. I was amazed there were seven, really, but, there, but we, the same names came up. I invited seven of them. To, uh, and I said, I'm going to meet with you once a week for the next uh, five years. Together or? Together. Together. I said, I'm going to teach you how to, how to handle the word of God and how to preach it. I'll, uh, I'm not perfect. I'll give you the best I can. I'll give you everything I can for five years. Do you know what happened? After three years, three of them had left for, 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 for theological college. Yeah, the very people I thought we were training up for our church had gone and blooming well gone somewhere else. To which the generous-hearted me said, hooray. But uh, the other four are all still there. And, uh, and, and, and they, are the key, they are the key players. Um, now that's very labour-intensive discipleship. Very labour-intensive discipleship. Because I was preparing material for just seven people every week. No, we, I said we met every week. We must have met. I might have been thirty-five weeks a year, something like that. But but it was it was pretty pretty labour intensive. But do you know what it did mean? Was that when I left, there were a group of people who knew what they were looking for. And that's a pretty valuable investment, isn't it? Because do you know in England, one of the times when churches go off the rails is when they don't know how to appoint the next minister. And one of our duties as ministers is to make sure we've equipped the people who will choose the next minister to be able to do that well. Otherwise we might have just let go of our... All the work we've done pretty well over the years might just evaporate into the... So, so that's, um, that's a long answer to a fairly straightforward question. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we reckon that there are... We rejoice. At, in England, we have the equivalent in England would be somewhere like Moore, to Moore College or GMBC, would be somewhere like Oak Hill. And it's a fine place. I've been a trustee there and a council member for the last 18 years. And I rejoice in the full time residential theological training that they give. And I pray that many people from our region will still go there. But we are aware of two groups of people who I think we're not helping. First is the group of people for whom, for varying reasons, the only training they get is the ministry training scheme that we run. 
We've got at least seven people at the moment in full-time pastoral situations for whom that's the only training they've had. Uh, for some of them who are from smaller fellowships, it's just been about finance. Raising $180,000 to spend three or four years at, at Oak Hill is a lot of money. And, and many people and churches just cannot find the way to, 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 uh, ra to raise that. Um, they may not have tried hard enough, but, but that, so that, there's that group of people we think we need, we need to provide a better training for. And secondly, again, whether right or wrong, we're just aware that there is a group of people who have got to a life stage for whom continually moving uh, uh, two or three-year uh, three intervals just puts them off. And so our plan is to uh, offer uh, theological education in our region so that people could, they won't be residential, they'll do it by commute, but will nonetheless be offered uh, a proper theological uh, degree. And in fact, the way we've worked the, worked the, the partnership is they'll, they'll get exactly the same theological degree that they would get if they went to Oak Hill. Uh, so we, we, they're, they're, that their degree is going to be offered in our region. Now, there are there are those who will say they will the students who do that will miss out on the life formation that being at residential theological college offers. And I concede that there is something in that. But having conceded that, I want to argue that it must be possible for us to raise up the elders for our churches, that is, our pastor teachers, without being residential in, full, in theological education, because the elders in Ephesus were clearly raised up for that without going to residential theological education. Now, I think they had a very good theological education. They listened to Paul preach in the Hall of Tyrannus every day for three years. They saw Paul's working model. I think they had a very good theological education. It just didn't happen to be residential. So it must be possible to do theological education without it being residential. And I am thinking that it must be possible for the local church to provide the character formation uh, in the local church that otherwise is happening in, in residential training. Uh, so we as a network of churches, we set it about 18 months ago, we set one of our goals that we wanted us to do this and we wanted to start a theological college in our region and... Um, and uh, We've uh, exchanged on a building, and we co we complete on the building on the first of March while while I'm here. So and um, and I'm every morning I'm going on the inter internet to look at our uh, bank account to see whether we have got anywhere near the amount of money that we need to um, to complete on the first of March. So we'll see. Do um, you want to say anything about um, fundraising? Because it says like a number of these. Oh yeah yeah. Money's always the difficulty, isn't it? I think I spend a fair amount of my time, uh, and I've been asked to do this to, by the partner churches, to encourage us to do in our church planting. So when we identify a church plant, so last September we church planted in Carlisle, right in the very north of our of our uh, of our district. Um, a, a small number of people, thirty something. And uh, we've appointed a full-time pastor for them. With he's married, with four young children, four under eight, I guess. And that, so she, wife's not going to earn any money. 
Uh, so that we needed to find a salary for them. Uh, the group of people are not able to raise the money, enough money themselves to do that. So I've gone around partner churches saying, here's Carlisle. It's part of your missionary giving. Be generous, come on, be generous. Uh, we, have a co we have an annual partnership dinner at uh, Old Trafford, one of our great cricket grounds. Uh, every year and we normally place before we ask we ask our uh, pastors in our partnership to come with two or three people from their congregation who might be able to give to partnership projects to things we as a partnership have agreed we want to do and uh, last year's dinner last May we set before them the church in Carlisle and uh, and uh, buying a, a building for a theological college and um, the ministers have brought them, so, so, so they knew exactly what they knew, what the pitch was going to be. And, uh, and we locked the doors. And, uh, um, and we, encouraged them, we encouraged them to give. Um, uh, it, would be un, it would be wrong to say that um, everyone gives generously. It would be fair to say that some churches really do support uh, churches that are less able. We've got numbers of churches who've got ministry trainees this year in really urban, deprived areas where another church is paying for their ministry trainee, and that's and that's 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 what we mean by partnership. That's that's and that's that's very exciting. Sometimes it requires a bit, few phone calls, just to kind of prod people and nudge people to be generous, and um, uh, but. Uh, yeah, money's always money. Is it? And we English, we don't like talking about money very much. It's not very English. We're better than the South Africans. They hate talking about money. Um, I don't know what you Australians are like. Do you like talking about money? Are you, are you good at talking about money, or are you embarrassed about money? We just got to get over our English reserve and say, and say, look, 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 friends. We, we're starting a new, a new church is starting in Morecambe in September. It's starting with a core team of sixteen. We've identified the pastor. He's going to start. We need we need thirty thousand pounds a year. We've said together that we want to do this church plant, so we've got to take the responsibility together of, of finding the money for it. You can't have your cake and eat it in this regard. You cannot say we want to do these church plants, but we don't want to give any money. I'll, we'll dry up in church planting if we take if we take that view.